starting up with Virtue Zone on Dubai Eye 103.8. Sign up with Virtue Zone Thursdays 1 through till 2. Wouldn't be the same without our uh, regular catch up with all the team at Virtue Zone. George Ashage is the man in the hot seat for us today. George, good to have you on board. All good at VZHQ? All good, Tom. Good to be back after a hiatus from the radio. Uh, Mr. Petch has been uh, filling up he very well. He likes it now, doesn't he? Yeah, eh? he likes it. He's, uh, I think it's his future career, actually. <laughs> um, no, is everything's it, been very good. Say- Listen, D- Dubai is boiling. The economy is boiling. We have so many people coming in. It's been busier than ever. Uh, we're excited that we're, we're, we're branching out into new activities as well. We're now giving you know the full range of corporate services. Taxation is coming. That's a great opportunity for us to make uh, life easier for all these companies out there because now everybody needs to file for tax, whether you're taxable or not. So... I mean, we've been working hard on, on, on growing the uh, plethora of, uh, of services that we offer. As you can imagine, it's a lot of hard work. We've had to hire a lot of people. The team has grown considerably. We have to adjust to that as well. But it's been growing great, and it's exciting times ahead for us. It's exciting times ahead for Dubai, and certainly exciting time ahead for all entrepreneurs looking to come here. So we look forward to that. Talking of that, George, we are, what, one week in exactly since corporate tax landed on our doorstep as well. There was much panic. There was much concern leading up to last Thursday uh, and the official start date as well. One week in, people getting their businesses, getting their head around it? Absolutely. I mean, if, you're, if your uh, financial year starts in June rather than in January, like most companies, then you are absolutely uh, liable to pay mm. to start paying tax from June 1st. Well, not paying tax, but to start, you know, to start uh, accounting and, filing, and getting yeah. your, filing, uh, filing your taxes. Uh, yes, we've had a tremendous, tremendous response. I mean, listen, uh, everybody needs to do it. So at the end of the day, uh, we try to provide the easiest, straightforward, cheapest solution to do it. And, you know, how we are these days, how people are. They just, you know, give everything to, to, to somebody to do for you better than, than getting the headache yourself. So it's been it's been a resounding success so far. I think we've onboarded close to 250 clients already. So, uh, so yeah, it's fantastic. And, uh, and contrary to what a lot of people might think, tax is a good thing. Uh, it gives us a lot more credibility. It gives Dubai, uh, the Dubai economy and landscape, much more credibility worldwide, much more respect. Uh, I mean, you've been here a long time, Tom, so mm-hmm. have I. I remember the days where they were talking about Dubai being, you know, uh, Disneyland and yeah. all plastic and all that, and it's not real and it's 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 temporary and all that. Well, you know, twenty years later, who gets the last laugh, right? Everybody's moving. It's the center. It's literally the center of the world at the moment. I speak to a lot of my friends who are bankers in in, in Europe and in Americas and and, and in other places of the world in Southeast Asia. Mm. Uh, it's no longer. I'm not. I mean, I'm not exaggerating mm. here. It's no longer. Oh, move to Singapore. It's it's really or to Hong Kong or to New York. It's move to Dubai, and everybody's really. And we see it. We see it firsthand because we see people coming here with their money, with their with their companies. They're buying homes. They're sending their kids to school. It's no longer a transit economy, and and tax is a natural progression of that to make it a stable uh, and safe and uh, sustainable environment, if you want. So. Keep Good on right. everybody who's behind it. Quite right, too. Yeah. Uh, may it long last as well. Uh, right, we are going to kick things off as we always do on a Thursday afternoon with our success spotlight. Uh, and guest today is a former professional ATP ranked tennis player. In fact, represented Lebanon in the Davis Cup, the Mediterranean Games, and the Asian Games in the early 2000s. But in 2005, he decided to leave the court behind, pursue a career in media and marketing with 
the Schwery Group here in Dubai. Now he's back to his first love, tennis, uh, this time building a business out of his passion. Uh, he is the CEO of uh, Touch Tennis Sports Club. He is, of course, Patrick Shukri, and he joins us live here in studio. Patrick, thanks so much indeed for being with us. Thanks to you guys. Nice to, nice to be here, Tom and George. Thank you for giving me the opportunity of being here. You know, I, um, I actually uh, shared the post on, on LinkedIn this morning. And uh, throughout, I've been in Dubai for 16 years. And for the majority of these years, going to work, to Shwari Group, like you mentioned, I was listen, listening to uh, the business breakfast. Yeah. And maybe it did give me some aspiration into building my own thing. Probably it did. I'm really, really excited to be here. It's uh, one of the uh, the small wins that I, I really take at uh, at heart into building something um, uh, successful. It's great to have you with us. Quick question before we move on, just so we get our cards on the table. Uh, have you played paddle tennis uh, with George, <laughs> and how do you rate him? I should say, Tom is just bitter because he lost against me in the Virtue Zone tournament. Uh, okay. And he came in all bells and whistles He's and all right. the attire on. And right. he, was ready, he was ready to take that cup He's home. He's right. <laughs> I, have played, I have played with George uh, after, after some uh, convincing. Uh, it's, it, it was fun. It was fun. George is actually quite good, honestly. I, he was better than I expected. Oh, I Thank you. Far oh, too oh I know that. Far yeah, too yeah. Yeah. He found out the hard way. (laughs) I wish, you know what? I wish this was TV because the ladies could see how good looking Patrick is. So not not only an athlete, an entrepreneur, a businessman, but also a a male model. If you want, the cameras are rolling at the moment. (laughs) Cameras are rolling. Uh, Touch Tennis Sports Club. Why set it up? Well, basically, I mean, it's a it's a lifetime story. Uh, I'm someone that fell in love with tennis uh, from a very early age. Touch Tennis is a sport that it's. I can say that it's a modern version of tennis. It's a modified version of tennis where you play on a more compact court with a 21-inch racket. So the regular tennis racket for adults would be a 27-inch. A kid, a 5- to 6- to 7-year-old, would, would play tennis with a 21-inch racket, which are the rackets we use playing touch tennis. Now, since the court is smaller than tennis, you need to have an adapted ball because when we play touch tennis, we hit as hard as we would playing tennis Mm. and if we use tennis balls it would have been completely impossible so the balls are very well developed so that you can play just proper uh, and hit the ball hard and for the ball to to stay within those boundaries which is a bit smaller than tennis I got an interesting one and that comes from my different discussions that I had with Pat Um, do you know why uh, Paddle tennis and touch tennis and pickleball and all these sports have gained in popularity. No, in the last I, I, I'll literally tell you no ask. Patrick, maybe you want to explain it because you explain it much better than me. Yes. So basically, I was um, working um, in a company for the past 16 years. So after I had quit my professional tennis career, mm. I decided to quit quite young. Maybe we'll get into that later. Um, I started, you know, I really felt the need of doing something out of my passion, which is something that I'm sure a lot of people Mm -hmm. uh, look for in the corporate world. You know, they want to do something on their own and something they're passionate about. Now, it's not very easy all the time to find something that you're really passionate about. So this box was, was taken from the initial start with me because it was very clear from the start. My passion is, is tennis. And my knowledge, my deep knowledge is about tennis. Now, I studied multiple um, business ideas around tennis. And Paddle did come across my mind 
uh, around six, seven years ago uh, to do a business around it. But unfortunately for me, uh, we're all different, right? For me, I did not find paddle being close enough to tennis. And I really felt uh, like, okay, this is not what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about tennis. Mm. And um, until a few years, so I've studied multiple business ideas around tennis. And unfortunately, because the real estate of a tennis court is massive, mm. it's extremely hard to build something and to make it a profitable business with tennis, which is one of the reasons why you see a lot of paddle courts being built around the world. You see pickleball in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S., pickleball is huge. It's probably bigger than what paddle is here. Um, I, I, I do know that there are some investments happening with paddle in the U.S. at the moment, uh, but it's still going to take a few years, and then pickleball is very, very well um, established. Uh, established in the U.S. So these smaller courts makes it viable because, for instance, on one tennis court, um, now the size of a tennis court is... I'm going to run it up to make it easier. It's 24 meters length and 11 meters width. The height that you need for a tennis court, if you play indoors, is 10 meters at least. And then you have the back run and the side runs. So basically, the square meter that you need for a tennis court is around 700 square meters. So find a good location indoors that has high ceilings with 700 meter square meter to have one court mm. is very difficult. Whereas in paddle, you only need eight meters of height. You need, um, uh, you, uh, the, the court is 20 by 10. So that's 200 square meters. So basically you can have three courts. And same goes on for pickleball and even more for touch tennis because in touch tennis, the court is 12 by six. You need some back run and some side run. So basically with the back run and side run, you, you need around 18 by nine. And then the height in touch tennis is quite low. You don't need more than five and a half meters. Mm. So basically, it makes it very viable uh, in terms of a business. You can find multiple locations across the country in the UAE where you actually need to be indoors if you want people to play all year long. Mm. And that, that's, that's from, a, from a business perspective why it's viable. But you remember we talked about why pickleball and paddle tennis and touch tennis are becoming so uh, so so popular now yeah. is the social aspect of it. Oh, so, okay. Yes. So in tennis, to play with, the yeah. distance between two players, you were telling me, Patrick, was 30 meters, was it? It's around to 25 to 30 meters. 25 to 30 stand. meters. When If you're playing touch tennis, you are at... 12 meters. You can communicate, mm. you can talk, you can laugh. You're playing paddle, you're playing teams of two. You mm. can. There's a social aspect to it, whereas tennis has become a very individual sport where there's not a lot of socializing going on. And what Patrick was telling me that after COVID, people were looking for very social sports, wow. sports where they can interact and stuff like that. So I find it to be very, so very, inter very interesting aspect of, the, of, of that. Yeah, this is one aspect of it. The other aspect <coughs> is that there, tennis is, is one of the most complicated sports to learn mm. and to perform well. Um, Paddle is much easier, so it's, it's, it's for everyone. Pickleball, same story. Touch tennis is also much easier because, now, touch tennis is exactly the same technique and fundamentals of tennis. The only, the, the, why is touch tennis easier to learn than tennis? It's because of the ball. The tennis ball goes really fast. Mm. So, but the touch tennis ball is very forgiving. Mm. So basically, if you have two beginners going on a tennis court and playing with each other, basically they're, they're going to be picking up the balls most mm. of the time. It's not going to be fun. Whereas touch tennis, even a, a beginner 
will be able to do rallies and have fun and have a proper workout. Um, yeah. All right. We are in conversation with Patrick Shukri. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, Starting Up with Virtue Zone live on a Thursday afternoon, live 1 through till 2 here on Dubai Eye 103.8. Uh, George, the group CEO of Virtue Zone, has joined us live in studio to answer your questions, but also to join in our conversation with our a special guest in the Success Spotlight section of the show, uh, the former ATP professional tech. Tennis player turned CEO of Touch Tennis Sports Club, Patrick Shukri, has been kind enough to uh, join us this afternoon. Pat, again, thanks so much indeed for being with us. Thank you, guys. It's um, a pleasure. A lot of people talk about the individual approach of the game of tennis. Um, you against uh, one opponent, uh, unless, you're, of course, you're playing doubles, etc., but quite an individual mindset as well. A lot of people talk about the fact that in order to build a successful business, you need that sort of individual drive, but also you need the team mentality as well, as George will attest to. That move from court to corporate, was it an easy transition for you? Well, definitely, um, I learned a lot, and I today I I can say uh, very confidently that the person I am today is due to what I learned on the tennis courts. Mm. Um, the perseverance that you have to go through to become a good tennis player, uh, the hard work, the losses. You know, in tennis, when you you register to a tournament, there. Are there's only one winner. And some tournaments, there's more than 125 players playing that tournament. It's, so it's basically most of people lose and then they have to rebound. Um, loss after loss after loss. And like you just mentioned, Tom, that you're alone. So what most people see on TV, you know, the Nadal, the Federer, Djokovic, etc., and they have their whole team behind them, traveling to the best cities in the world, playing the best tournaments and getting paid loads of money is not really the case in the tennis world. Mm. You have, so that's a big issue in the tennis world today is that you have only around 100 to 150 players that make a decent amount of money, uh, which, is, which is really sad because it's such a popular and beautiful and old sport um, and, and something needs to be done. There's a lot of conversation happening in, on the tour with the lower-ranked players. Somebody that's played you know, six, seven, eight hours a day throughout his whole life traveling the world and, you know, not really making a living because he's by himself. He's not taken care by a team and everything that he does is by himself. So he has to to create a, a proper schedule, a training program. He has to find sponsorships. An athlete should not be doing these things. An athlete should be concentrating on how to become a better player, whether, whatever sport that is. Unfortunately, in tennis, it's a, it's a very... Uh, lonely sport, you have to do those things yourself, which makes makes it extremely challenging. You know, let, let's say in basketball, or in football, or in volleyball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you're part of a team, so if you're injured, the team is still playing, and you might still win and feel like you won. In tennis, you're injured, you're out, you're out, and you have to deal with it mentally. How, how has that helped you, Patrick? That 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 tennis player mentality, or that the the, the challenges that you go in as a tennis player uh, through as a tennis player, how does that help you creating a business? And how has that helped you face the obstacles and the challenges of of building your own business? So as you as you guys must know really well, there are lots of challenges when you want to build a business. 
the way that I was brought up, not in terms of education, but in terms of my expertise as a tennis player, like I was saying just now, uh, is that you you understand really well that when you work hard and you put your mind into something, you can reach a lot of different things. Mm. And I really strongly believe in that. I have proven that that works uh, through tennis. And if you transfer that to business, basically it's, it's, it's the same story. And in fact, it's the same story for everything. If you want to be a good parent, you need, you need to work hard yourself. If you want to be a, a good chess player, you need to work hard. If you want to be a good tennis player, you need to, if you want to be a good team leader, you need to work hard uh, and be perseverant and, um, and you know, not taking no for an answer. And, you know, there are lots of downs and you need to, you know, you need to find ways to navigate around those. And um, I'm very happy today that, you know, the club is launched. It was extremely challenging. It was. Yeah, it was. We were and part of your journey as well. And oh, there, really? was, there was a lot of, yeah, so Virtue Zone yes. set up, set up the, the Touch Tennis Club. And, and there was a lot of challenges in terms of uh, uh, licenses, in terms of permits, in terms of stuff like that. Because it's not, a tip, it's not your typical business, right? Mm. And you have a mix of a sports venue which, where you could have accidents happening. You have, a, you have a bistro as well, which involves food, health and safety. It's a, it's a, it's a big warehouse and, a, and an industrial area. Uh, so there was a lot of, a lot of uh, things to navigate in order to get all the, the, the permits and the licenses. Uh, but yeah, <clears throat> Patrick was very patient and and we 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 told him from the start that this was going to be a, a, a long process but that it was that we we needed to do it right and he needed to do it right and i think he he was on board with that what's i mean it's, it's really interesting to listen to you patrick and and talking about you know what you've learned from your professional sports career moving into the corporate world as well um when you speak to young athletes at the moment do, do, do athletes focus enough <clears throat> on life after sport or are they too focused on just getting the win from the next game? Un- unfortunately, not enough. And, you know, when you grow up and you're talented at a certain sport and being a professional athlete is the dream of millions and millions of people out there. Mm. And those millions of, and millions of people out there have the right exposure as well. And uh, they ha- might have the, 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 the same talent as well. And the, it's extremely difficult to make it as a professional athlete. Most people fail at it, unfortunately. So they need to understand that quitting school at nine years old is not the way to go. Because I've seen it, and I, I, I hear around me that a lot of kids are quitting school and they're nine years old uh, just so they can train six, seven hours a day because tennis requires that much. Uh, is not the way to go. What happens in my, uh, when I was growing up, those kids that did that, at the age of 15, 16, a parent cannot control his, his children anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're pushed and put under pressure at a very early age, and they can't handle it anymore. And they decide to quit. You know, when a 15-year-old, an 8-year-old, you might be able to push him on the court and practice six, seven hours a day. But when he's 15, if he doesn't want to practice, he's not going to get any better. And he's not going to reach. So, and, and this is something that parents really need to understand as well because they're very much involved in the journey of making it to uh, become a professional athlete, so tennis or, 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 or other sports. And now I was lucky enough to be exposed to, um, 
to the U.S. because I went to the tennis academy at the age of 15 mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S., in Florida. And um, in the U.S., they're very good at um, exposing the uh, sports in universities where you can get a scholarship, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the level of the sport in these universities, of course, depending which university you go to, et cetera, is, is better than most professional teams out there. The facilities, the coaches, the vibe, the team play, all of these things are included while getting an education under a scholarship. And I think that this is the route. Like I have children myself and I want my children to do that. Do I want my children to become professional players in any sport? Not really. I, I really don't care. If they really want to, then I'm, I'm well, going to Well, if you I'm have a Lionel Messi in the house, I mean, it's, okay. it's, not, <laughs> it's not a bad investment, is it? But exactly. Lionel Messi is one of the thousands or if not of hundreds of thousands of, of kids that were as talented as him, but just never made it yeah. for different reasons. Sometimes they get injured, you know. I mean, uh, sometimes mentally they can't handle it. Other, other times it's because they don't have the financial means of exposing their kids to, to these uh, facilities mm -hmm. in order to improve properly. Uh, it's very, very, very challenging, and it needs to happen gradually. It needs to happen gradually. Finally, uh, we're out of time almost here, but not before we give you an opportunity. Uh, people listening in, Touch Tennis, uh, if they are new to Touch Tennis, if they'd like to find out more about the sports club, um, where can they find more information? And what's in the pipeline as well, Pat? What's, what's coming up for the rest of this year and the future for Touch Tennis? So Touch Tennis Sports Club um, opened its doors on December 26, this last December 26. And you can find all the information on our website, touchtennisportsclub.com, our Instagram page, Touch Tennis Sports Club. And um, so, so far... Um, the uh, the basically, I wanted to build a club mm. where people could, where we could implement the love of the game, just like I fell in love in uh, of the game when I grew up in Belgium and, and started playing tennis because there was a proper vibe. Unfortunately, in tennis in this country uh, or in this region, not just here, um, it's th there is no club vibe. Yeah. So ba basically, people go, they play that one hour, and they leave. Now, what's happening in, in my club, kids are having their lesson and then there are other kids because there's a proper vibe. And I understand that really well. Kids need to play much more than a one hour a week in, in order to improve at tennis. Mm. So at the club, it's, I've, I've, I've seen this happening and they're improving a lot. And, uh, and this is what I, I push parents. I say, okay, he had his hour. Okay, there's a free court. Go and play. Let him play. And the kids want to want to stay longer. You have, a kids, you have a kids area as well, a younger kids area there. Yes, we do yeah. camps and birthdays yeah. as well. Uh, I mean, we're very um, – we make sure that every single person that walks into the club uh, has a good time. <laughs> Which is the call to arms for everyone out there. Uh, looking for something to do, uh, looking to take up a new sport, uh, looking for something to do over the summer, get yourself down to Touch Tennis Sports Club. Alcos, correct? Yes, in Alcos 1. Lovely. Uh, listen, uh, Patrick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, the CEO of Touch Tennis Sports Club, Patrick Shukri, joining us live here on Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I could talk for hours, by the way. Thank you so much. <laughs> we, 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 we've got we, we, <laughs> so time much to get to on this game, but we I will don't. get you back in, that's for sure. Uh, we, that's we'll game, set, a match on this occasion with Patrick Shukri. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks to Patrick. You're 
listening to Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business setup with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Thank you, Just. Yeah, thanks so much indeed for your text messages. Keep them coming in. 4001 on the uh, text message. Uh, 04875500 on the WhatsApp. Uh, equally, um, I'm always conscious of the fact that if we don't get an opportunity to answer your questions in the 60 minutes allotted to us, worry not. Why? Because Team VZ are on it 24-7 as well. Do reach out to the Virtue Zone team. Uh, their digital marketing team are, as I said, they don't sleep, basically. They work around the clock throughout the week as well to help you become your own boss. And that is the hashtag. Talking of the boss, we've got the group CEO of Virtue Zone alongside me. George is in studio. All going well, George? All good so far, Tom. So far, All so good. So far, so far, so good. So exactly. far, so good. Exactly. Uh, right, we've got some big deadlines to look to now. We turn our attention to something that business owners need to be aware of. And know for a fact that Virtue Zone are consulting on this at the moment, as they are on tax issues, amongst others. All those things that go around setting up your company here. But UA companies with 50 or more employees are being given a deadline by the Ministry of Human Resources and Emiratization. End of June this year, so end of this month, you need to have filled 1% of your skilled jobs with local Emirati talent. Is this a big concern for business owners here at the moment? Listen, any new, uh, any introduction of a new uh, new rule or regulation is a concern. I wouldn't say a big concern, but uh, yes, you have to work around it and you have to uh, make sure that you're in line with the rules and regulations. And I think it's a great initiative, to be honest. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it will allow a lot of the uh, young Emirati uh, talent to integrate the work uh, the workforce and in different industries not necessarily always in the preferred industries or in government yeah. but more in the private sector uh, look this comes on top of the already established goal of two percent emirati employment that companies should have reached by the end of last year so how can companies hire quality local talent uh, and ensure they thrive and more importantly how do you retain that talent as well? Two experts to answer your questions in studio this morning. Uh, we've got the founder and the CEO of the Bedrock Programme, Audrey Hammett, joining us live in studio. Audrey, thank you so much indeed. Elevator pitch, the Bedrock Programme, what do you do? Thank you for, uh, for having us. The Bedrock Programme is designed to help youth to understand their core values and to use those core values as decision-making tools. So we work with the entire ecosystem, schools, universities, and businesses, on how to look at, support, and create the right environment for them to add value not just to themselves but to the companies. So Emirati talent definitely falls within that. And we've been working with a few organizations on how to improve in terms of retaining, engaging, and motivating them. <coughs> Sold. I'm investing, that's for sure. Uh, Dean has also joined us. Gina Habib is the co-founder of Spot, joining us live in studio. Uh, elevator pitch. Dina, what do you do with Spot? So thanks for having us. Um, so with Spot, um, we actually started two years ago uh, with a vision of providing internships and internship opportunities for youth because we believe there's a lot of value in work experience and on ha- hands-on experience. Um, we are now in the process of bridging the gap between youth and organizations and allowing youth to dynamically showcase their skill sets. Um, so we believe it's not just anymore about qualifications, but rather on top of that, what skills do you have? Um, we're out to ensure that sk- youth are understanding the values of skills and the different skills that there are. Um, and on the other side, we work with organizations that are looking for interns or even part-time job uh, placements. Um, and we're working to educate them on understanding the values of 
skills um, and understanding the value of innovation that youth bring um, to any organisation. Question to you, Dina, and thanks very much indeed for the introduction there. Uh, And obviously this is a conversation that will uh, branch out to all of our guests in studio. But just to George's point a little earlier on, tradition would have it that Emiratis, we know that the ambition is there in the Emirati workforce, uh, but traditionally there's been this pathway into government departments, the government sector, the private sector as well, uh, into the public sector. Um, Are young Emiratis inclined to work in the private sector more now than they were in the past? So, yes. I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. On one part, it has been mandated into a lot of the curriculums now at universities, um, where we've seen that not only do Emiratis need to work in the government space, but they also need to take on internships in the private space. So on one side, it's mandated that they get that experience, which I believe to be very valuable. Um, But on the other side, we have been out to a lot of career fairs uh, promoting our internships and the amount of skilled Emirati youth talent out there today is is growing by the day and they are just as keen as any youth um, we've seen or come across is to work mm. in this day and age. Audrey, you work closely with a number of SMEs as well. Um, these targets, um, we keep talking, I think that target is such a harsh word to use as well, but uh, they are targets at the end of the day. Um, uh, with the sort of reiteration of those targets having to be fit, whether it was the end of last year or, of course, the end of this month, what, what are the sort of challenges that SMEs are facing at the moment? So part of the challenge is in getting older Emiratis, maybe not the youth in particular, mm. to consider the opportunities that SMEs offer, partly because they maybe cannot necessarily meet on some of the pay scales that they would like or what they're used to. Part of it is making sure that the environment that they have is attractive for Emiratis to come and join the organization and to have meaningful employment. Um, It's it's not... um, The Emirati talent that we've been working with are not wanting to be seen as a fix to a quota, yeah. right? They want to be given gainful opportunities that have real career potential and growth, right? And with an SME, you are, I mean, some of them are larger, so there's much more s- scope. Mm. But making sure that the individuals being hired are also being given the right opportunities and balancing that within the organization with the people who have already been there who are also expecting growth opportunities. Mm. And that's an interesting space to maneuver and to navigate. Uh, and what we've been spending a lot of time with is making sure that people are have their eye on what is it that each person is actually looking to get from the business so that you can properly marry what the business needs mm. with what the individuals want. So instead of trying to pigeonhole people, it's trying to find that fit that motivates people to actually come in yeah. and give it their all in order to support yeah. the growth of the business. Uh, you know, I think what, what Dina and Audrey, uh, along with what Dina and Audrey are saying, uh, this economy is changing, mm-hmm. right? The Emirates economy is changing. When we talked about it at the beginning of the show, it's becoming a mature economy. In the past, uh, young Emiratis would probably go and study abroad, yep. and then they would look for jobs abroad because you simply didn't have the uh, platform here or the companies that would be able to, where you'd be able to thrive as a, as a, as a as somebody who was educated abroad. Today, 
every Tom, Dick and Harry in the world is here. Mm. Uh, the big companies are all here. Mm -hmm. the, big, the big startups are starting to become nascent here rather than in Europe or the Americas. The opportunities are truly there, right? Um, so we're in a transition phase. We're in a transition phase, and I think, I think, I think Dina highlighted that. Uh, the young Emiratis that are studying truly are motivated to go and get that, that, that talented mm. job or that, that key job that you and I had when we were growing up in Canada yes. or in the UK or wherever it is. And I wanted to go work for IBM and I wanted to go work for you know, Pepsi or whatever it was, those big name companies. Uh, traditionally here, because the economy was limited, let's say uh, before 25 years ago, well, where are you going to go work? Are you going to go work at the, you know, you're going to work in government because that's, that, that's where the real the big jobs, the big jobs were. Today, you have companies that are very talented companies that are multinationals where you have incredible opportunity both locally, regionally, and at, at a global level, and you have these opportunities. So we're, we're, in a we're in a transition of mentality phase where the guys are saying, well, hold on, you know, I, I want to work for one of these companies, mm -hmm. and it's not because I'm Emirati that, I, that I'm just going to land this job, right? Yeah. I have to work as hard as Tom or Samir or Rajiv, or whoever it is. Not nine till two. No, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I have, I, have to, I have to work just as hard because I'm competing for that job. Yeah. And, that, and that's what's driving them. Now, one quick thing that I want to say quickly, and, that's, and that I want to say congratulations to both of you, because both of what you do is actually preparing people for the real, for the, for the real mm -hmm. life and the real work, work, work life and work, the work sector. I genuinely believe that the traditional schooling system that we've had, that you and I or all of us here have, have gone through, is... There's a lot of rubbish in there, mm. right? Nobody. Why has nobody? Uh, uh, let me let me do a bit of a caricature. Why has nobody ever taught me how to iron a shirt? Why has nobody ever taught me when or how no, to I buy a house or how you know how to buy a car, when to buy a car, what to do with my money? Okay. Uh, when do you start saving? If somebody had told me that you know at 19 years old you should start looking into buying property, because you know I started buying property when I was 38, 39, 40, right? Nobody ever told me that you need to start early and, 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 and save early and invest early for your money to make you more money. Nobody's ever taught me how to iron a shirt. Nobody's ever taught me how to do uh, laundry. Or, or these, these are things that we need every day. Mm -hmm. And part of what these lovely ladies are doing is preparing people for reality. Yes. You know, Pechi will laugh at me. I'm an industrial engineer by education. I, can, I could do a triple integral for you and three derivatives and this and that. And <laughs> I never used any of that in my life. I would have sure would have loved to know how to iron a shirt. I'll come you know, on your shirt. Don't worry about that. I'll anyway, so, so well done to you both. I think that's, it's, very, it's very noble what you're doing. And I think it's very important to prepare uh, today's youth for the real life and the yes. real world. And the real world is not a just world, mm. okay? And there's a big difference between the real world and a just world. But and people they, need to know that. Are they ready, the youth? Yeah, so I think, you know, just circling back to the youth in the future, I think youth are a lot more keen, but I think they lack, I still feel that they lack direction. And that's why what we're trying to create with Spot. But in general, I think there's a lot out there for them to digest. As far as content is concerned, do you want to be an entrepreneur? Do you want to, you know, go into this field or that field? Um, you can do it this way or that way. But I think they need to kind of stop and pause for a minute and go, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you're good at? What are your strengths? What are your skills? What are your attributes? Where are your passions? And where does that take you? Um, 
and so back to circling again to the topic of the Emiratis, I think if you treat them equally like any other youth, mm. it's about understanding what skill sets you need to get into specific organizations. And the onus is also on the organizations, because if you're looking to attract top talent, you should be transparent about your culture, your ethos, mm. your work values, um, what it is that you're trying to attract, what kind of dynamics do you have? Are you a startup, therefore looking for innovative people that are fast thinkers on your feet? And you should be able to say, no, that's not me or, you know, and it is happening and there is a transformation that's happening. I just need that. I think there needs to be some structure and governance around, you know, understanding, getting into particular industries, what skill sets would then be required? Where are my gaps? Where Correct. do I need to upskill? Equally, equally, Dina and Audrey, from the other side, from the employer side, mm-hmm. I'd like to give you a piece of advice. A lot of these, the younger generation, Tom, you'd be surprised. I'll tell you about it later. They have to have their expectations managed yes. on how their career is going to progress. Yes. When you and I first started working, for example, we'd get a promotion or we'd get a pay raise. and We'd go, you know, have fun and party all mm. weekend yeah. and then come back on Monday and say, thank you very much. So what's the pay raise, right? Or what's my promotion? Today, in today's world, they want a promotion every six months, one year. They want a huge pay raise every six months, one year, or they're not progressing in their career. And that's not the way things work. Is that fair, Audrey? You know what? You're, you're right. And there's a number of reasons why that's happening. And the number one reason is if you just go into a career based solely on your skills and looking at everyone else's skills and making your comparisons that way, you're obviously always going to be looking to climb that ladder. Which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But when you start with your values and you have a deeper meaning to why you're achieving, remember, values can be applied to any career. Agreed. Correct. So you don't, it's. To say that someone should be thinking about their values is not saying that they should be limiting their career options. Of course. But if you look at it from a value perspective and what that legacy looks like that you're trying to you know, leave or, or develop Build. for Agreed. yourself, okay. the skills support it. So then it becomes less about, well, I'm just going to climb the ladder fast and then someone else can find out I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> Whereas it's more like, oh, my goodness, I'm really enjoying the work I'm doing. I'm developing myself. I'm taking my time to get to the next level. Mm. And those career conversations that start to happen in HR and with L&D start to support the development up that ladder. So it becomes less about, okay, six months later, you do a promotion, and it becomes more about look at the career path that we've set out for you. And what am I learning? hitting those milestones. Now I can see how you're actually ready for the next level. That's great, and that's very very important to teach as well and Definitely. to transmit. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. No regrets whatsoever down here, starting up with Virtue Zone, live in studio uh, with, uh, of course, George, the CEO of Virtue Zone. Uh, plus, we've been joined by the founder and CEO of the Bedrock Programme, Audrey Hammond, and has joined us live in studio. And Dina Habib, the co-founder of Y Spot. Audrey, uh, questions coming through from a lot of our listeners out there. Um, everyone being very supportive of the amortisation targets at the moment. So let's not use the word quota, etc., as you said. Uh, let's look at it as a positive, etc., to drive your business and your culture uh, to to, to new levels. Retention Mm -hmm. is the problem that a lot of people are talking about. How do we tackle the problem of retention? You're absolutely right. Um, Meeting the initial targets of hiring tend to not be as hard. Um, Keeping people engaged and motivated, which keeps them in your organization even when someone else comes knocking, that's been a difficult one. 
What we do when we work with companies on retention in particular is to spend a lot of time helping them understand what it is that that talented person is looking for in terms of career growth, mm. right? It's, money is a, a factor, and sometimes you can't beat someone else's offer. It's, it, it's just known, and it will always be, whether it's Emirati or anyone else. But, and I, it's a big but, because it, globally it's been proven as well, if you can offer someone the right structure for growth and development, and if you can show them what's in it for them to be engaged and to put in the effort to grow with the company, you'd be surprised. Mm. And a lot of Emirati talent are interested in being given that recognition. Mm. And the recognition comes when you perform. And they know that if I stay an extra year, it will make me even more attractive down the road. But at the same time, the more that they invest in the company, the more the company invests back. Dina, I see you nodding in there. Concur? Yes, I do concur. I believe it's really important. And I think if we take it a step back into the youth as well, um, and what we're trying to create, like, create is... When you think about even your internships, it's kind of what is it that you're trying to experience through an internship? What is the end game of what you're trying to experience? Is it you're going in because you've never experienced a work environment? Or is it that you're going in because you're trying to actually use a certain skill that you have, an attribute there? Or are you looking to get hired um, once you graduate? Because every intention is then again differently. And what you define and measure an internship success to be mm. is different depending on what you're going in expecting. And also, again, back to the organizations, when they look to hire, are they looking to hire? Because there are organizations that have internship programs where they hire them and they look to hire for the future. But mm -hmm. there are organizations that are also looking to hire that, interns to complete short-term that, projects. That's what, that's what I did. When I was in university, uh, during my engineering program, I got hired for an internship the, la the third year. And then I did the inter internship the fourth year. Mm -hmm. And when I finished, they hired me on and I stayed on with them for three years. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was the easiest way into and the workforce possible. And there are a possible. lot of organizations that offer that, uh, but mostly on the private multinational level. Tom's um, looking at me like I'm lying or something. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what he I wants like, to say. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've, what I've did worked. you have on them? Photos, <laughs> files, what was going on there? You know. No. Sorry we interrupted no, you. No, I was Dina, just saying ahead. I personally worked with the likes of Microsoft and AWS that both had their own uh, in-house internship programs. I know L'Oreal do it. We've worked with them, but they also have their own in-house Nestle. So a lot of the large yeah, multinationals have their own youth programs. It's fantastic. It's like getting to know each other before getting married, which is, which yes, is great. Courting. Which I think is fantastic. Courting, exactly. <laughs> Courting, of uh, course. We are almost out of time. Just very quickly, uh, 30 seconds to each of you. Last words, bits of advice for people going through this at the moment. Uh, from the, last words from Weisbot and Dia. So I'd say if you're looking to hire Emiratis, you need to um, be transparent about yourself as an organization as well and what your culture, mission and vision stand for. What is it that you're trying to achieve as an organization mm. um, because owners and, and, and also to make sure that you include diversity and inclusion training um, both within your organization. If you're an Emirati looking um, to look for a job, um, go with what fits with you as a person. Yeah. Audrey, final thoughts? So I would say um, everything Dina said, absolutely. Keep in mind when you are working with um, your Emirati or your Emiratization program, it's not just about the Emirati, it's also about your policies, your environment, and training the managers who are supporting this talent mm. and help them recognize that to support someone under you is giving you the opportunity to succeed. 
Because succession planning is one of the biggest issues that organizations have. And when they don't have a good enough pool below, you as a middle manager lose out on an opportunity and the company has to hire externally to fill a senior position. That is very true. So if you can move upwards, the company saves money, the talent is retained, the culture is benefiting, and in the end, it's a win-win. Win-win. Win-win today as well. Final thoughts from VirtuZone? I'd like to thank all our panelists today. Yes. And uh, Tom, you are always a fantastic host. I'm coming over to you. have always shirts, been. Man. But it's good times. Like I was telling you, I think it's a great time to be in Dubai for all of us. And I think it will be a great time for many years to come. Uh, keep on opening your own businesses. Don't be afraid. There's a lot of challenges like we saw. But there's nothing like being your own boss. Isn't that the truth? Uh, George, bless you. Thanks so much indeed to you for that one. Big thanks to George, uh, to Audrey, and of course, Dina, ladies. Thank you very much indeed for joining thank us. You. That was another Start Up with Virtue Zone. Back next Thursday, 1 through till 2. Bye bye.